you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you this morning to turn with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians. To the New Testament book of Ephesians. I believe if you take time to look and read Ephesians and meditate and focus and pay attention to what it's writing about, it has more to say about the church in context than any book in the Bible. The church is a mystery. It was a secret. The Old Testament did not even... The prophets see that God had a plan in the New Testament. In the age of grace, under the covenant that we have in Christ Jesus, our Messiah, that the church would be his means of where he would display his glory and do his redemptive work. And I don't know about you, I love Jesus and I thank God for Jesus, but I love the church just as much. And I thank God for the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean a location or a piece of property. I talk about people who are the body of Christ, the living ecclesia, the called out separate ones. That word ecclesia is the Greek word for the church. It means called out ones. And the church is called out from every other person in this earth to be God's people, to be his priest to be his body, to do his work. And if you look here, Paul, in the back part of chapter 3, right before we get where we're primarily, primarily preached today, is it, is it up, Paul? Okay. I don't, oh, yeah, it ain't back there. I forgot. <laughs> I'm going to have to cheat. All right, let me see. All right. There we go. He mentions the church. In verse 20 of chapter 3, and he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, us being his people, the church, to him, doing all that we would never think of. I want you to look at verse 21. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Bible says right there that he has put the power in us to do abundantly above and all that we would even be able to think to ask. And he does it according to the power that works in his people, the church. Why? Because it says right there, to him be the glory in the church. Where does that happen and how does it happen? By Christ Jesus and it happens to all generations from the beginning to the end until Jesus comes back. Today I want us to look, we've been looking at how to be blessed. How to be blessed, we've seen that be reverent, to honor and respect the Lord. That's the first thing. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We've seen the love and support the Lord's church by being committed to the church. And then we've seen last week about being generous and the importance of Honoring the Lord with your possessions. You know, if these things wasn't going on, we wouldn't be where we are today. But guys, for it to continue to go on, when we move to the back, you're going to need to understand that God wants us to serve the Lord with our talents and skills by being involved. One of the great weaknesses of the church today is that far too many people are coming to the church and they're not involved with the church. They're committed to being there and wanting to be part of what's going on. 
But for the church to be healthy, for the church to be able to make a difference, it needs people that do more than just come and are committed to what the church is about. They are involved in what the church is doing. And God has given every one of us talents and skills that he has blessed us with that we can use to bring his work to the church. I want you to think about this this morning. The church is not a piece of property. <laughs> but when you say church, where do you go to church? Instantly, because we have an unbiblical understanding of what the church is, people think of a place. They think of a location. They think of a piece of property. The church is an assembly of God's precious people. Not just any people, God's people. That's what the church is. The church is us. The church is not where we meet. The church is those who meet here. I want you to look at this. The church is more than a facility. The church is a family. And so if your identity in this church is more in a facility than it is in the family, you, you have a misunderstanding of who the church is. Thank God for the facility. Thank God we have a piece of property. But I thank God that's not who we are. Because who we are is much more precious. We're his people. We're a family. And not only are we a family, we're the family of God. You know, I was telling Diane this week, I was thinking and meditating on all this. Family does not stay the same here. Have you realized that? When I grew up, I liked my family. I had a perfect growing up, man. My dad was awesome. He did things with us. We, we had a stay-at-home mom. We had the American dream family experience. But that had to end. <laughs> it changed. It changed because we lost our dad early in life, but that's not what only thing changes. Some of us still have our dads, but you grow up and you get your family. Then you get your kids. But then it changes again because your kids grow up. And they go get their kids. The only family that will never change is the family of God. Because guess what? We're going to be together for all of eternity. And what we do here marks eternity. What we do here determines how many people's there with us. And the family of God, if you think about it, is probably the most important family that we'll be a part of. Because it's the only one that will last and remain forever. Now I want you to look at this also. The church is not a building. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is represented in us. Some of us are hands, some of us are feet. All of us have different functions and different things that we contribute to accomplishing the work of Jesus. But he's the head and we're his body. And Jesus is over us. And what we do when we do it as he wants it to be done is the church, the body of Christ, doing the work here on earth. Now I want you to think about this. There's different ways that the church is trying to do the work for the body of Christ. There's two church methods I want to show you today. And it's going to be easy for us to fall into one that is in error. And I'm going to show you why in a minute. But first of all, I want to read to you something about the body. I want you to look at God's plan. The first thing that is ever said about the church in Scripture was said by Jesus. Did anyone know the first reference to the church in Scripture? It was that when he said, who do people say that I am? It's in Matthew chapter 16. That's the first time Jesus in his three-year ministry, it's the first time ever when Jesus came that the church was revealed. And, of course, Peter said, you're the, you're the son of God. 
And he said, blessed are you, Simon. And he said, upon that rock, that, that truth that I am the Messiah, the son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is building his church and he wants us to be a part of that work. And upon who he is, he's the foundation, he's the, the centerpiece of Christ Jesus, the Lord and Savior. He's building his church, and I, but he wants us to be part of it. And where I want to preach from this morning is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 16. I want you to see what it says about the church. It says that, and he himself, that being Jesus, everybody see that in verse 11? He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, we know that the apostles and the prophets gave us the word of God. It was through the prophets that we had the Old Testament scriptures. It's through the apostles and those directly connected to them. No word is in the New Testament that didn't come from someone who was personally acquainted with an apostle. And so all of the scripture comes through the apostles. And the apostles were the ones who laid the foundation, who bent out and proclaimed and got the church started with the truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But then from there we have evangelists and we have pastors. What do evangelists do? Evangelists primarily preach the gospel, how people get saved. They preach the good news that Jesus is the Son of God and that He came and He died for us. And now He lives for us because He rose again. And if you believe in what He did for you, you can be saved. And you can be born again and have new life. And your deadness and your sin can be delivered. And you can be set free to have a relationship with God. And when you have a relationship with God, you become part of the body of Christ. You're part of the family. You're now the church. You're no, you don't go to church. You are the church. And the church becomes important to you because it's very, very important to Jesus. And friends, listen, as we begin to see this, he says he gave them to us. Why did he give us evangelists? So people can get saved. Then he gave us pastors and teachers. What is a pastor and a teacher's job to do? The pastor-teacher's job is to still, I preach the gospel. I think every pastor better be evangelistic if he wants to grow his flock. <laughs> but if all we do is get them saved and dunk them, we don't finish because when you get saved, that's not the end of the journey. That's the beginning of the journey with Jesus. A pastor's job is to disciple you, to teach you, to train you, to equip you, to grow up and be mature. You see, no matter how old you are, when you got saved, you was a baby in Christ. You're a spiritual infant and you need milk. So you got to be able to hear the word of God so that you can be nurtured because the word of God is the milk for the spiritual baby. And the person who's not getting enough milk, he remains spiritual infancy. But as we grow in Christ, we grow up. And the pastor's job is to shepherd the church, to teach the church, to train the church to do what? The work of the church. You see, a lot of people think, that's what we hired you for, preacher. Now, I believe a preacher's supposed to work, and I believe a preacher that don't work, you ought to get rid of him. Boy, that struck a nerve. 
But I also believe the preacher ought not do all the work. I don't even believe he should be doing most of the work. But I believe he should be doing some of the work. But he should never be doing it by himself. And that's what I love about y'all. Y'all people work. <laughs> that's why we getting done what we getting done. Because you can have the best preacher and he can work himself to death. But if you don't help him, not much is going to get done. Can I get an amen? So when we all come together to do what? The work of ministry. Look what he gave them to you for. Verse 11 it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets. Thank God for the apostles. I look to them. They're my example. I, I emulate them. I, I want to be like the apostle Paul. I'm sure failing though, ain't I? <laughs> but I'm more like Peter. I put my foot in my mouth all the time and say stuff I shouldn't say. But I still love old Peter because Peter didn't give up, friend. And when he said get out the boat, Peter was the first one that got out. He was a leader, and that's what we need. But guys, listen. Why do you need leaders? To help equip other leaders. And look at what it says. He gave us evangelists. We got them in the church today. He gave us pastors. He gave us teachers. Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. That's the church. Why? For the work of ministry. Why does the saints need to be equipped to do the work of ministry? Because that's how the church is edified. That's a fancy biblical word for built up. <laughs> that's how the church is built up. The church will never grow. It will never ever move forward if you don't have people who are equipped to do the work to edify it and build it up in Christ Jesus. And so guys, listen. The more God gives us to do, the more that we equip people. And listen to what he goes on and says. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Not most of us. All of us need to come to the unity of the faith. That we understand and believe. And we have like-minded doctrine. Doctrine is the teachings that we embrace as vital to our life. Because what we believe about God's word is the most important thing about us. And look at what he says. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect, that don't mean perfect as in perfection. It means perfect as in complete, mature, grown up. I don't know about y'all, but I think Big John's perfected in his growing up. He don't need to get no bigger, does he? Now Richard may say he does need to grow up. Nah, I'm playing, I'm, looking, I'm meddling now, ain't I? But what I'm saying is, He's as big as he needs to get. He, he's grown up. He's complete. He, he's mature. Guess what? Spiritually, God expects us to grow up to what he created us to have the ability to grow up, to become. He wants us to be mature people. Look at what it says in that verse. And then we're going to get to what I want to show you. It says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Have y'all noticed that when Richard and John walk into church, it's not easy? I mean, it's pretty easy to tell that they belong together. <laughs> if you had to say, look around this morning, who do you think is Richard's son? Would it be hard to figure that out? I mean, they're both tall. They're both bald. And they both look alike. If you get around them, they both kind of like, they both like to work on things. They are a lot alike. Guess what? We're not mature into the finished, perfected place God wants us until we reach the stature and the fullness of Christ. He's our daddy. 
We're supposed to become like him. And guess what? We're supposed to be able to do the things he did. Just like John likes to work on things because Richard likes to work on things. Guess what? Jesus said, when I came, I didn't come to be served. I come to be a servant and to give my life as a ransom. So we ought to love to be servants. We ought to love to be doing the work of ministry because that's what our Lord did. And friends, listen, there's different ways to reach people today, but they're not all right. I want to show you two forms that people are doing to reach God's Look, there are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. It takes time and effort to become grown up in Christ. But it takes a pastor that's dedicated to teaching you the word of God, to challenging you and expecting you to live the word of God, and who will make you get out of your comfort zones and go where God wants you to go and do what God's called us to do. Because it's easy for us to take the easy road. Can I get an amen? But the road that follows Jesus. Now I want you to look at this with me. The path to spiritual completeness is a narrow road, and few go down it. But it is the road that Jesus walked, and I'm convinced by Scripture that it is the only way to the blessings of the abundant life that Jesus has promised to those who will follow him, his church. It's, it's not the easy way. The church is not in need of more church members. The church's greatest need is disciples. We have far too many church members and way too few disciples in the American church today. And let me show you why. There's two ways to grow a church. Showmanship model, discipleship model. Which one do y'all think is Jesus' model? Jesus didn't like showmanships. That's what them puffed up, look at me and my fancy religious robe and my tassels. Listen how I pray in public. Jesus rebuked them as hypocrites. They were called the Pharisees. They were the leaders of Jesus' church. He ain't looking for showmanship, guys. He's looking for discipleship. Disciple, what does it mean to be a disciple? Deny yourself. Take up a cross and follow Christ. And I want you to look at this. The showmanship goes by come and see the Jesus show. The discipleship survives by going and telling the Jesus story. And friends, listen, you can go to church if you build a good Jesus show. They're all over. What we're building back here is going to get people to come to see the Jesus show. But that back there will never change a life. That will never win a soul. It'll never make your family more what God intends for you to be. It's nothing but a tool, a place to gather for the church, to be discipled, to grow, to go and reach all nations to teach, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to teach them all the things that Jesus taught unto us to do. That is our commission. But we do that, not a building. <laughs> no matter how great a facility we can build, a facility has never ever saved one person. See, what they look for is a charismatic superstore. They're dependent on creative professionals. We got to get people who are are real educated and real smart and have all these gifts. And they want people who are charming. Because a charming, creative professional who has superstar status, who's very charismatic, can draw people. But he can't save them. He can't turn them into Jesus' people. And friends, listen, Jesus looks for submissive servants. And he don't hunt for publicly... Superstar, he's hunting for common folk like me and you. 
He can use anybody that will say, Jesus, I'll follow you. He didn't pick out the people I would have picked out. He picked out Peter, fishermen, a tax collector, <laughs> stinking sinners, <laughs> people that cussed. Y'all say, yeah, say, how do you know Peter cussed? Because when he got under pressure, when they was asking him, do you know him? And they was fixing to crucify Jesus. Jesus said, I don't blanket know him <laughs> three times. <laughs> the Bible says he swore. You know what that means? He used words that we don't use in church. You ever been around fishermen? I heard, you ever heard you say it, cuss like a sailor? <laughs> Jesus ain't looking for people with a perfect vocabulary. Although he will improve your vocabulary, there's things I used to say I don't say, thank God. But I'm going to tell you what he does look for, people who know the story. So that you can tell about him. So you can tell people about how good he is. And friends, this model spiritually entertains people and draws a crowd. <laughs> Jesus' model spiritually equips people and builds a team. There's a big difference between a crowd of Baptists and a team of Baptists. A team of Baptists are unified. They all have a purpose. They all know a plan. And they're all about doing what's best for the team. A crowd is about the crowd. There is fickle and shallow and they'll turn on you in a minute. Jesus had a multitude of a crowd, but he only had a little bit of disciples. The crowd praised him on Thursday when he rode into Jerusalem, and they crucified him on Friday. That's what a crowd does. They ain't committed. They're shallow. Jesus is looking for someone who's hungry for the word of God, and a church like that is a church that he blesses. Let me show you what else. People today, you ever hear seeker-sensitive? Seeker sensitive. That's all right. We'll forgive you. We'll forgive you. Turn, answer it and just let them listen. <laughs> but listen, if you're seeker sensitive, you're going to direct what you do to please the wrong person. Seeker sensitive people are trying to please a crowd. I'm here to please one person. How about you? The Savior. That's what we got to be about. Now, I know not everyone's going to be pleased with what's back here. <laughs> so I've been praying already, God, give me, a, give me a heart warm as soup and give me skin as tough as an elephant because <laughs> I'm going to need it because I know there's going to be some people who ain't going to be team players yet. But, Lord, I'm ready for it. So let it happen. It'll, it'll make me a better person. I'm lying. I don't want it. But seeker-sensitive people that seek the church to build the crowd, that's all about using people who are charismatic and, and, and draws people just to come and watch the Jesus show. You know what you end up with? A crowd full of people who have a superficial Christianity that is shallow and uncommitted to the Lord. They're gone the minute things don't go their way. The minute it ain't the way they want. They don't go by, is it biblical? Is it reaching people? Is it honoring Christ? It's by, this ain't what we want. See, that creates spectators. And God didn't call us to get a crowd of spectators. He called us to disciple people and teach them and equip them to create people who are Savior sensitive. Lord, you show me with the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word what you want me to do, and I'll do it. I want to please you, Lord. And friends, that creates a type of people who are sincere that is deeply committed to Christ, what it creates is participators. 
There are churches filled with spectators. Guess what? Spectators, how many of you like football? Man, I went to watch the LSU championship at Mama. Only game I watched all year. I've seen parts of some, but I was scared to go. Brother Marty Guidry is a fanatic. He, he's been known. He kicked a TV over one time in the LSU game in his own house. And, and he was telling me, I can't believe you ain't watched one game this year. I said, well, I'd be hunting and stuff. I kind of look at it on my Google and see what the score is. I said, I, I wanted to watch one another day, but I said, I might jinx him. No, no, don't watch it. Don't watch it. He was, but anyway, I went and watched it. You know what I noticed? The team is on the field. The team is doing everything. All the rest of the people are doing is spectating. Now, they say they're part of the team, but I want to tell you something. That ain't how God's plan works. God wants us all to be doing our part. Let me show you in the scriptures what I'm talking about. We stopped at verse 12. Look at what he says. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the knowledge. He wants us to all come to the knowledge of the unity of the faith, that we all believe the same thing, we all trust the same thing, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, we know him for who he is, and he's changing us into that perfect, mature, completed man that resembles the stature and the fullness of Jesus. Why is he doing that? He wants us to grow up. Look at verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. That's how you draw a crowd. Anything popular, anything new, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitfulness. But look at what he says in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. You see, it's only when we are under the truth of God's word in a loving environment. And I don't know about y'all, has anyone ever heard the truth hurts? But when it's given in love, it, it blesses. And I want you to look at what he says right there. But speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Christ is the head. And look at what it says in verse 16. From whom the whole body, that's the church, joined and knitted together. Jesus, the head, is joining and knitting together his church. Why? Look at that. By what every joint supplies. Every one of us, as he puts us together, supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Did you see that? God has joined us together like a knitter. He's knitted us into what he wants us to be. To where every one of us is working together to where every part, each person, does his share causing growth of the body, the church, for the edifying of itself in love. I want to read you another translation of verse 16. Listen to what this other translation says. This comes from the New Living Translation. If you read it with me in the King James or the New King James, we'll read it. From the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself. Look at verse, listen to how it is in the New Living Translation. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. That's how he knits it together. And each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. See, that's how God intended the church to be for everyone to have 
their part to do. I want you to think about this. God's design for his church, when you look at the Bible, is that every member be involved with the work of ministry in the church. The more people that's involved, the healthier it is and the more it can do. Look at this. A grown-up, mature, healthy church member, I mean, a grown-up, mature, healthy member of the body of Christ is on mission and involved with the work of the church. You see, we all have a mission. We all have a work that God's got us to do that we're trying to accomplish. If we're going to win people to Jesus in this community, if we're going to make an impact and change the influence of society, we have all got to be together as a team. And it's not what we do here that does it. It's what we do when we leave here. I want you to look at this. Oswald Chambers said, the special person called to do ministry work is every person who is a member of the church of Christ. He didn't say some or most. The call does not come to a chosen few. It is to every one of us. The Bible says we've all been called, we've all been given a ministry, and we've all been given a spiritual gift, a spiritual enablement to be able to do that work that God calls us to do. I don't know about y'all, but LSU, and I know you actually, boy, he's on this LSU. I don't expect them to ever have a team like that ever again. They had a team this year that beat seven teams in the collegiate American college football that were top ranked in the top ten. Can, can, did y'all see that this year? They had a tough schedule, and they went undefeated. They had a great coaching staff, and they all then flew to Coop. <laughs> Coach O's in for a big awakening next year. They had a Heisman Trophy trophy, a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, and they were virtually unstoppable this year, but they had a team that is a once-in-a-lifetime team, and they won the national championship. Every Sunday, we should look at Sunday as the national championship. And if we're going to win the trophy, if we're going to receive the reward, we've got to be a team that works together and contributes. They only could have one quarterback, but thank God they had a center because that's what starts it off. And then once that center snaps that ball, they better have some linemen. They better have a good running back. They better have some good wide receivers. They better have a good defense also. <laughs> or they will not win any games, much less a championship. You know what's wrong with the churches today? We're terribly disorganized. We don't do it God's way. We don't go by the playbook. The playbook is not the bylaws of the church. The playbook is not how we've always done it. You know why LSU won this year? They changed how they play football. <laughs> They realize the modern way is you got to change your offense. And guess what? Church is no different. You can't do what used to work 50 years ago offensively and go out into the world and get the same results today that you got in the 50s. You got to come up with a new game plan. You got to come up with an effort. Defense doesn't change much. Pray, pray, pray. And trust God. And Resist the devil. But guys, listen, we are going to be doing things different. I know it's going to not be easy for some, and I take that to heart. 
I know this is a place that has a lot of wonderful memories. It's a place that has seen a lot of good things happen. But this is still just a building. I want to share something with you. When I first surrendered to preach, I don't know if you've ever noticed, I was licensed and I was ordained at Solid Rock Baptist Church. It was a house church. It wasn't even big as this room altogether. We added on to the back of it and we built a sanctuary. In the process of why that was being built, God called me to preach. I preached my first sermon in that little house church. We are in the process of building that sanctuary. In the process of that, our pastor stands up one day in a church that was growing. Now, growing to us was we went from 25 to 40. <laughs> and 40 was full like this. And so we were trying to get to the back where we would have room to fit 150. And Rusty Townsend stood up and resigned. Didn't tell me, didn't tell anybody. And man, like what in the world? The next Sunday they said, Brother Marvin, will you preach? I preached that Sunday. I preached it next Sunday. People started to get saved. We was, the next thing we knew, we were running like almost 80. Eight people got saved and needed to be baptized. The, 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 it wasn't even built yet, the, the sanctuary. We had been waiting to get a baptistry previous to Brother Rusty leaving. And it was $5,000 to get that baptistry put in there, paid for, and all the stuff hooked up. And we couldn't do any more sheetrock because you had to leave the wall loose. And Brother Rusty said, we don't have all the money. We're short. We don't even have half. We need probably $3,500 or something like that to get a baptistry. And we can't do anything else. And a little bitty lady, a single widow woman named Dot Glover said, go get it. I'll pay for it. Now, to look at her, you wouldn't have thought she had no money more than anybody else. She wrote that check. I kept preaching. People kept coming. And her little granddaughter was coming. And her son, Tony Glover, and Carla and Mallory was their little girl's name. I preached one Sunday. We went home, and they called and said, Brother Marvin, Mallory needs to talk to you. She's under conviction. She needs to be saved. They came to my house. I sat them at the table. I said, you are the parents. Y'all need to hear what goes on. I said a simple gospel presentation to that little girl, Mallory. She prayed to receive Christ. I looked at her daddy, and tears was rolling down his cheek in our living room. And he said, I need Jesus too. And that man got saved. And his wife was, whoo. He left from there. Went to his brother who didn't go to church, who was married to a super spiritual lady who was Methodist in the Methodist church named Miss Cindy, and led his brother Terry Glover to the Lord. They came to my house to make sure he did it right. <laughs> and he got saved. So we started planning to get that baptistry. It had never been used. We wasn't in the church yet. And so we said, we're going to, Brother Rusty ain't here, but we're going to fill that thing up and we're going to use it. So we went out in it 
no sheetrock, just bare, I'll never forget it, bare plywood floors. But listen, before that, that lady, Miss Dot, had a nephew named Denny who was married to the church secretary named Melissa. Melissa had just recently got saved because one day, Brother Rusty took the church to one of them plays. What was it called? The devil something they do to Heaven's Gates. And he said, while we're going, I want you to preach. I thought he did me a favor. He left me in the church to preach that service with nine people counting me and Diane. Nine people. And in my flesh, I said, it ain't worth preaching. And I went to the play. But I preached like it was 90. Melissa, the church secretary, stepped out, walked the aisle, and gave her life to Jesus that day and said, when I came here, I just wanted to be part of the church. I had bookkeeping skills. I'm a bookkeeper. So they asked me to be the church secretary. They was a new church. And she said, I just joined the church. I didn't know nothing about getting saved. And so she got saved. Well, then when her two uncles got saved, she went to telling Denny. Denny came to church, and Denny got saved. Long story short, the first time that baptistry got used, Dot Glover, a little lady who had vision, who had generosity, who wrote a check for that baptistry, seen her two sons, her granddaughter, and her sister's son get dunked in there. Amen? Amen. Friends, listen, that's what church is about. But listen, all those memories are awesome. I went back up there, and they have grown. They're bigger than us. Guess what? They got a whole new metal building there now, connected to the new sanctuary behind it. And the old church, house church, is gone. I walked in there to preach their annual, um, what they call them, homecoming. We need to start having homecoming. And so I go in there, and I walk back there, and I'm like, man, look at this. The old church is gone. And I'm going to tell you what, it was cool. It was as close to the Acts Bible church I'll ever get to. It was like being in the book of Acts in that old church. So I walked around, and I looked at the church and where the door was at, and I stood about where I would have been standing where I preached my first sermon. And I went, dang, I can't believe they tore down the church. I can't believe they moved out of here. This is where the greatest thing in my life next to getting saved after I preached my first sermon. No, I looked and there was a bit of memory what it was like that day. But guess what? That memory will be with me for all of eternity. I didn't need that building. I didn't need that. What I seen was a big, fine facility. We was fixing after this big homecoming meal, eat chicken and fries and everything. Man, I got over it. Listen, God doesn't want us attached to things here. He wants us attached to people, to his plan, to him. And guys, it does hurt. There is sacrifice. But for every sacrifice, there is a worthy blessing. And I'm not asking you to do something I haven't experienced. But it is going to be different because we want to reach. Would you agree that the people we're trying to reach today is different than the people in your day? Has times changed? Who'd have ever thought it? But there's a lot of things different. But if we stick together and remain a team, and we let Jesus be the captain, and we let him lead us, we're going to fill that place up back there, I'm telling you. And we're going to have another problem then. <laughs> but for now, let's go back there and fill it up for Jesus and enjoy the show. Amen?
but do more than enjoy the show. Let's go and tell the story. Look what God's doing in our fellowship. We got a lot to tell, don't we, folks? Let's go tell it. Let's go celebrate it. Let's do it in a spirit of joy and gratefulness and thankfulness and glory to God in his church forever. That's what Paul said. By Christ Jesus. That's what he's about, bringing glory to him. And the more people we reach, the more we change this generation, and the more he's glorified. So today, maybe you want to join up. Maybe you already are joined up. But you know, I've been here long enough to know you can be joined up and not be joined up. <laughs> so what I'm asking us to do is say, Lord, wherever you lead us, we will go. And if you bear fruit and we see people saved and people's lives being changed, Lord, we're going to go with you. Amen. Because that's what the Lord wants to do. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing. What are we going to sing this morning, brother? Amen. God bless you. Well, let's pray. Father, as we gather in this place, we want to thank you, Lord, that people still get saved by the preaching of Jesus Christ, by the gospel being saved. Lord, I believe just like that girl, Melissa, who was a church member, who was part of that church, who, Lord, wasn't part of the kingdom, that there could be someone here today. Lord, that person, I pray that they'll walk out of their religion and they'll come today to have a relationship with you through Jesus, the Son of the living God. That they'll confess and have their sins forgiven and washed and that they'll leave here a new person, a new creature in Christ. Lord, if there's someone today who needs to be born again, Lord, help that to happen. Draw them to Christ. And Lord, for those of us who are saved, help us to let him be our Lord, to follow him. Lord, help us to be in unity. Help us to hate what he hates and love what he loves. Help us to hate sin and hate the devil. And help us to love Jesus and to love his people. Lord, bless us this morning. I don't know what people need to do, but if they need to come to an altar, Lord, I'm praying that you'll just continue to use us to bless us for your glory, that we can help many people in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.